0: Welcome to Urban Dharma, the podcast where suffering is optional. Hi, this is Reverend Kusla coming to you from downtown Los Angeles from the International Buddhist Meditation Center in the heart of Koreatown. Well, yesterday, Sunday, uh, the 17th of August, I found myself in Simi Valley, California, speaking at One Spirit, Center for Conscious Living. The title of the talk was, The Path is Not the Goal. And I think you'll find it interesting. It's an overview of the goal of Buddhism and the path of Buddhism. Uh, the singer uh, who sang after my presentation, her name was Margaret Owens. She has a website, Margaretowens.com, And, uh, and then I played a little harmonica uh, tune with uh, Andy Howe, uh, the director of the One Spirit Band. So uh, it's coming to you right now, my talk at One Spirit. Center for Conscious Living. The path is not the goal.
1: <laughs>
2: After that, what can I say?
1: Uh... <laughs>
0: Well, today I'm going to speak about something that um, may sound a bit confusing in the beginning. Hopefully, it'll turn out to be perfectly clear. And, And what it is, it's the path is not the goal. And I was confused about that when I wanted to become a Buddhist, because I thought being a Buddhist was being the path. And to be honest with you, I really, I heard about the goal. The goal is nirvana, but what the heck is nirvana and, and why and how does the path lead to nirvana and why is it necessary anyway well the reason Buddhism is necessary the reason the path is necessary is because as human beings we suffer we suffer all the time we want things to be different than they are if only we could change this a bit or make this this way or that way, our life would be perfect. And we struggle and struggle and we never get it right because we're born with original ignorance, not original sin. And gosh, why is it so hard to be born? I didn't ask to be born. Well, yes, you did. (laughs) Your parents had sex and you had karma. So I'm going to talk about early Buddhism. This is the Buddhism of the Buddha from India. This is, this is the tough stuff. This is the stuff that you cut off your hair and you sit under trees and you have one meal a day and you don't sleep very much. This is the stuff that either kills you or ends your suffering. And I suppose either one will do, but I, <laughs> but I prefer to be alive and not suffer. So... What is the goal of Buddhism? The goal of Buddhism is nirvana. The goal of Buddhism, according to early Buddhism, is to become an arahant. We can't become a Buddha, according to early Buddhism, because only one Buddha at a time is allowed on any world. So we have our Buddha, Siddhartha Gotama. His teachings are still valid. They still work. So we can't be him. We have to wait for the last person who knows his teachings to die in order for the next Buddha to be reborn on earth. We already know who that is. That's Maitreya Buddha. He's in heaven right now waiting to be reborn. Right on earth to start the wheel of Dharma turning again. So according to early Buddhism, we can't be Buddhas, but we can achieve everything the Buddha achieved. And that's called an arahant and what did he achieve well he achieved the end of his suffering while he was still alive he was 35 he achieved the end of all future rebirths he never had to be reborn again now I know existence sounds like a good deal but existence always has to end there's always an end to the beginning and that's the downside of creation So could we exist without being born? Could we exist without being created? Could we exist without a first cause? And as it turns out, according to Buddhism, yes, we can. It is called nirvana. How cool is that? If you can exist without being born, you'll never have to die. Ever, ever again. You'll never have to get old. You'll never have to get sick. Wow. So that's what he sort of figured out following the path. So what is this path? What is this, this, this special ticket to the end of our suffering? It's called the Noble Eightfold Path. And it goes like this. Right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. And those eight path factors can be put into three categories. Personal discipline, mental purification, and wisdom. In the first category of personal discipline, we have three path factors. Right speech, right action, right livelihood. In order to reduce and end our suffering, we need to speak more skillfully. That's all. It's simple. We need to say please and thank you occasionally. We just need to be more aware of how our speech affects the people we're speaking to and, in turn, how that affects us. Right action. The Buddha said, you know, it's really unskillful to kill things because things just want to live. And if you kill anything, it's taking their life away. So right action is not killing, not stealing, and not indulging in sexual misconduct. Let me stop right there real quick and just explain to you what sexual misconduct is. Because in LA everything is okay. Huh? Well, according to Buddhism there are four things that aren't okay when it comes to sexual activity. They are having sex with people who are engaged. No, no, no. Having sex with people who are married. No way. Having sex with children, not good, don't do it. Having sex with people against their will, that's it. If you can be a Buddhist and follow those four guidelines, you are skillful in your sexual activity. Cool. So it's not a big deal, it's a little deal, but it sure makes living in community a lot easier, doesn't it? right livelihood. When I was giving my talk in Palm Desert, I mentioned uh, being a bartender is not right livelihood. And after my talk, (laughs) a woman came up and said to me, am I doing the only thing that's wrong to do in the world? I said, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to imply that being a bartender was ultimately wrong it's just a little unskillful because you may lead people into heedlessness by over them and they may do something really dumb and stupid and create a lot of suffering in the world and you are part of that but if you need to support your family don't quit if you need if you have bills to pay and you need a place to live don't quit just think about maybe there's another way to make a living that's a bit more skillful that reduces suffering rather than increases suffering so there it is it sort of starts like right there you know right speech right action right livelihood those are the first three path factors that a Buddhist would practice now that's the path that's the path now we have a goal and we have four goals actually in Buddhism it's never simple but the first goal is becoming a stream enterer by following the path you can become a stream enterer and let me tell you what that involves becoming a stream enterer means you have eradicated the first three hindrances now there are ten hindrances that prevent you from realizing your perfection. All of us are already perfect. All the stuff we need is already in place. It seems that we've just got a few things that prevent us from realizing our perfection. And it turns out there are ten
1: things.
0: (laughs) Now, the first thing that prevents us from realizing our perfection is a belief in a personality, an ego, a sense of being independent. And that's one of the things we need to work on and get past. We need to realize that, no, we are not independent. We are interdependent. We are connected to everyone all the time, whether we want to be or not. We do not exist beyond conditions. We are all conditional creatures. And if the air is too polluted and we can't breathe, we die. One of the conditions we need to exist is air and food and water and clothing and shelter and medicine and the list goes on and on and on and we cannot exist independently and when you realize that in your practice as you follow the path you start to see the world in a little different way and you don't suffer quite as much because it's not about you it's about everyone all the time the second hindrance to realizing our perfection is extreme skeptical doubt in the path you're following. (laughs) That it is okay to have healthy skepticism, it is okay to question it, but if you have extreme skeptical doubt, why the heck are you on that path in the first place? (laughs) Find one that you don't doubt quite as much. (laughs) now what I have found with Buddhism is I don't need people to tell me it's okay I don't need people to tell me it works Buddhism self-validates every day in every way in my life I test it it comes back a plus it works for me I'm not saying it's going to work for you but it works for me so one of the things one of the hindrances one of the roadblocks is skeptical doubt. And the path allows you to go beyond personality belief, it allows you to go on go beyond skeptical doubt. And now we come to sort of a touchy one, attachments to rites and rituals. Now we had some really nice rites and rituals today. The lights went down, a pleasant voice, we had music. You just feel so comfortable in the present moment experience of those rites and rituals. But the Buddha, being a theist, and he was a theist, he never denied God or gods, realized that sometimes they just couldn't do it for you. Now, an example that comes to my mind is being on the 4 or 5 freeway, and my fuel (laughs) is going down to empty, and I pull out a prayer saying, God, please bless my gas tank. I need to get there. (laughs) And all of a sudden, the engine stops, and I'm on the side of the road, and it didn't work. (laughs) Instead of praying, I should have been paying at the gas pump. (laughs) So, does this mean that all rites and rituals don't work? No. A lot of them are wonderful. And a lot of them work just fine, thank you. But for the real big stuff, like suffering in your life, the Buddha said, no, you just gotta take a little bit more responsibility. It's up to you. There's nobody's gonna take that suffering away other than you and the choices you make and the reality you have. Goal, that's being a stream enterer when there those first three hindrances have been observed understood and transcended you are at the first level of nirvana you got two more levels to go but now goal back to the path eightfold path we've already talked about three of the path factors now we're going to talk about three more path factors i'm glad they're recording this because you'll have a cd and you can listen to it many many times The next three path factors are uh, right concentration, right effort, right mindfulness. This is the meditation category. Right effort. Preventing unskillful thoughts from arising. Abandoning unskillful thoughts once they have arisen. Developing skillful thoughts that have not yet arisen. Maintaining skillful thoughts that are already there. Let me clarify, skillful, unskillful, what is a skillful thought? A skillful thought is one that's based in love, generosity, compassion, and wisdom. An unskillful thought is one that's based in lust, greed, hatred, and delusion. And those thoughts are coming up all the time in our consciousness. And we can choose which thought we want to be if we are aware of the thought process. If we are exerting effort to be aware of our thought process now I've used this story before but I'll use it just one more time I was at Vons supermarket yesterday and there I found myself on the bakery aisle looking at those Entenmann chocolate cakes (laughs) and I'm thinking to myself I'm taking two one for tonight and one for tomorrow I realized I was having a thought of greed that I was going to take two home with me and become sick. What kind of fool am I? I should buy two, one for me and one for you. Now, that is generosity two kinds of Buddhist meditation. The first kind of Buddhist meditation is called Samatha meditation. It's tranquility meditation. It's calming meditation. It brings us to the present moment experience of our life. The second kind of meditation is called Vipassana, insight meditation. It allows us to see with such great clarity how our mind works. The reason we need to do both of those together is because when you start to see how your mind works you may not be calm about it.
1: <laughs>
0: you may be a little disappointed to see your mind at work. We have, we have choices that aren't based on anything. We have habit patterns, we have preferences, we have all those things happening all the time. And we just take that for granted as that's who we are. And there's nothing I can do about it. But when you start to see clearly the process of mind, you may want to change a couple things. And in order to change it, you need to be calm. You need to be balanced. You need to approach it as a medical problem. It's my mind. And do I want a lobotomy or should I meditate? Okay, now we're going to go to the second goal. The second goal is the once-returner. First, we were the stream-enterer. The second part of the goal is the once-returner. And it goes like this. The once-returner has eradicated the first three hindrances, which are belief in a permanent personality, doubt or extreme skepticism, attachment to rites, rituals, and ceremonies. But now it goes on to say... It also has greatly weakened the fourth and fifth attachment, attachment to sense desires and attachment to ill will, anger and hatred. So now we have all these sense doors, you know, we have the eyes and the nose and the ears and and they're just open to the world all the time and all this. Energy and stimulus is coming in and we start to attach to really pretty things and start to get repulsed by really ugly things and we want to have the new iPod, maybe the fifth generation because the fourth generation isn't quite as good and we have all these desires that are connected to our sense doors. They never leave us alone. And after all, we are consumers of America, aren't we? Yeah. And the more we have, isn't life that much better? You know, even if we need a storage locker or two <laughs> to keep all this stuff in. So sense desires are always at work. They never stop. You know, so it's sort of weakening those sense desires. And then anger and hatred. Whoa, this is such a tough one. It comes up all the time. Maybe not real anger, but just a little anger. You know, sometimes my cat will sneeze right in my face. <laughs> and and I'm looking at that cat and I'm thinking what is wrong with you? (laughs) you know but it doesn't know it just has to sneeze (laughs) so this anger this hatred that rises is sometimes based on the dumbest stupidest things and yet I still get angry and it bothers my body and it bothers my mind and I can't breathe very well and I just "Ah, I wish it were different but it's not and there's nothing I can do and so as we get to the second level of once returner then those things weaken a whole lot and we've gotten rid of the first three but a really cool part of being a once returner is such a person will be reborn to either the human or heaven realm and will attain enlightenment there so once you become a once returner you only have one more rebirth to go and you'll either be reborn as a human being or an angel in heaven And then you will achieve your enlightenment, your nirvana, and you'll never have to be reborn again, and you'll never have to suffer. And gosh, you're almost there. And you say to yourself, well, how long does that take? And it probably takes a couple hundred lifetimes. (laughs) So it takes a while. Now that was the goal. Now we go back to the path. Okay, we only have two path factors left we only have two path factors left there in the wisdom category right view and right intention right view of the four noble truths understanding that the four noble truths are ultimate reality and also work in relative reality so there's two levels we can understand those four noble truths on and having the right intention the intention of generosity the intention of compassion the intention of loving kindness so every time you open your mouth to speak or your body does an action those intentions Move that speech and action in a very skillful way, reducing the suffering in your life and the lives of all those around you, the eightfold path, right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. Now we go back to the goal, and now where we were a once returner, now the next level is a non-returner. Whoa, okay, so we're almost there. What is this non-returner? the non-returner has completely eradicated the first five hindrances the belief in a permanent personality or ego doubt extremes asceticism attachments to rites rituals and ceremonies attachments to sense desires ill will and anger those are all gone transcended no problemo okay because of that this person will be reborn to a heavenly realm and attains enlightenment there. So a non-returner will die in this lifetime, be reborn to heaven, achieve nirvana, and it's gone. But how about if you do it before you die? That's what the Buddha did. The Buddha achieved his perfection before he died. So there are five more fetters that he had to get rid of. And they are... (laughs) Craving for existence in the form world. Craving for existence in the formless world. Conceit, restlessness, and ignorance. Now, this craving for existence in the form and formless world. Let me tell you a true story. happened this week. We had a mini family reunion in Las Vegas. I took the bus to Las Vegas. And I found a hotel for 25 bucks a night, and there we were, and my mom was there, and my brother was there, and his kids were there, and we had a lot of fun. And to be honest with you, you I've been a monk for a little while, and I don't generally take my clothes off in public, and they all wanted to go to the pool at the Golden Nugget Hotel, and there's loud music blasting, and there are people bringing drinks, and everybody is scantily clad, and... From 9 to 90, everybody's there. And I was suffering (laughs) from extreme attachment and aversion. Those two things came into play in a way I had not expected. That I might see a bathing suit on a body and go, whoa. (laughs) and then I might see another bathing suit on another body and go whoa And, and there wasn't any happy place in the middle yeah it's just this one to the other and I'm thinking I'm never taking my clothes off again you know, So I had to leave. I just left. I couldn't take it. Extreme attachment and aversion. And so what this means is sometimes when we have our fantasy idea about going to heaven, we, we look at ourselves as having his body so everybody will recognize us. And we look at everybody else as having a body so we can recognize them. And we'll all get together and we'll have our special bodies. And won't it be great? So some people are really attached to the form and want to take the form with them. And want to even come back to earth so they can have another form and you know and go work out and look really good and buy clothes and have just so much fun with form and then there are some people who just don't like form they're not into form they wish they didn't have this earthly vehicle they wish they could just be energy consciousness light cool well that's nice too but there's an attachment involved involved with that as well so if you're attached to form or formlessness ultimately you will suffer and you need to transcend that attachment. And it's difficult, I know. You know, when I go to the movies and see these movie stars, you just go, whoa, look at those people. How can they look like that? Well, they don't, you know. If you see them in the morning, they don't look like that. But there's magic that occurs. And then there are some people you just go, oh, man, why are you here again? And that's sort of an attachment in the opposite way. That's aversion. And you just wish if they weren't here, life would be so much better. Oh, man. And look at those shoes they always wear. They need to get some fashion sense. You know? And so we have this aversion, attraction, and it creates a whole lot of suffering for a lot of us. You know? And then, and then we go into conceit. Oh, yeah, you know, it's really hard not to be conceited. You know, because we think we're sort of the center of our universe. And of course we are. And sometimes people give us compliments. And they say, oh, look, you look really good today. Or, you know, look how well rested you look. That's what I get sometimes. You look rested. Thank you. You (laughs) You know? But, But the Buddha said, where there is praise, blame is sure to follow. And if you get too caught up in your story you are going to be shot down. And there are tons of people with really good aims out there who are going to get you. So conceit only creates more suffering, not less suffering. Then we have restlessness, restlessness, agitation. Can't calm down, need to make things better, need to make things different. I had a friend, she was a German immigrant, and when she got depressed and bummed out, she'd clean the house. And she spent hours cleaning and vacuuming and dusting, and that place was spotless, and she felt really good, you know? But she was never calm. She never could just sort of mellow out, get into the present moment. Hey, you know, let's hang out. Can't do it. Got to do stuff, you know? And when we get on our spiritual journey, sometimes we feel that we got to be working on it all the time. There's no chance to rest. And no, no, there is. We need to have that calmness agitation is not good it will make us suffer even more wow and then last but not least the final fetter is ignorance we as a buddhist sometimes are ignorant of the four noble truths and the dharma we don't see the reality of that we don't believe it we don't understand it that it works and it will change your life the rules and regulations the vows we take the precepts we take to change the way we speak and act in the world Some of us are ignorant and don't think that leads to freedom. We think it leads to more restrictions. But no, no. All those precepts, all those vows are just ways to become free. Free in this very world. Free in a special way, though. Free in a way that allows you to have wisdom and compassion and be free. So you see, the path is designed to achieve a goal. The goal is to realize your own perfection it's already there and we call that perfection in Buddhism Nirvana you will have calm you will have clarity you will have balance you will have wisdom you will have compassion you may not have good looking shoes though (laughs) but that's okay because you don't care And when you achieve that, everybody around you knows there's something different about you. You're like this vacuum and people are just sucked into your space. They just want to be around you because there's no ego to fight with them. There's no idea of how it's supposed to be or how it could be. It's simply the perfection of the present moment. And you have achieved it. You have realized that you've always been there, but you were distracted by the flash and the trash of life. And now you're right in the middle of it and everybody wants to join you. But it's a path. Buddhism, we call it our raft. And our raft takes us across the river of all those desires and the lust and the greed and the hatred and the delusion. And when we get to the other shore, the shore of nirvana, only a fool would take the raft and carry it on their shoulders. The raft has served its purpose. So ultimately, as a Buddhist... We are trying to end Buddhism. We're trying to go beyond Buddhism. Our goal is not to have to be Buddhist. Our goal is to be free. Thank you.
1: Margaret Owens.
2: brings only just the best of
0: That's it. That was my talk at One Spirit Center for Conscious Living in Simi Valley, California. The title of the talk was The Path is Not the Goal. Hope you found it interesting. Hope you found it useful. If you'd like to know more about me, please visit kusala.info. That's K U S A L A dot info. I have a calendar. If you'd like to be part of one of my presentations, please check out the calendar. If you'd like to download some free ebooks on Buddhism, visit buddhabooks.info. That's buddhabooks.info for free ebooks on Buddhism. Well, that does it. Until the next time, until the next podcast, be happy, be peaceful, and most of all, be free from suffering.